Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Mandy Moore Automotive Group Potline from The Athletic. Zach Kiefer joins us. Caller Mike with some incredible advice on how Chris Ballard and company should approach number four coming up tomorrow night of this NFL draft. That's well done. Do you think they can afford to pick the best player, John? Can they afford to pick the best player? In meaning have trading up? Boxed, have they boxed themselves in? Does it feel like it's quarterback or bust? How would how would the city respond? Oh no, no quarterback. Yeah. Well I, I think Mike, what Mike mentioned the is the best player is not going to be a quarterback. I mean, most likely. Right. But the best player for them is a quarterback. So I, I don't like I've always thought to a degree, Zach, that the best player available on the board, I think that's bull crap. Because when you have a specific need like this, the hell with edge rusher, the hell with cornerback or whatever else. If you have a need at quarterback, as they've had for so many years and been scuffling to try to get back on track, your best player available is going to be under center. That's what you do. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and GMs have said this for years and years. Oh, we always go best player available. We stick to the board, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you also draft for need. And everybody does that. Every single team out there does that. And remember, it's a somewhat of a miracle that they got the fourth pick, right? I think they were going to finish at like sixth, if right. not for that late fourth quarter collapse against the Texans, which would have thrown this whole draft in another direction because that means Houston gets the number one pick. And I think it's absolutely a certainty that they would have just turned in that card for Bryce Young. I think the draft as of right now, the way it's set up, it doesn't really start until number two. And the biggest question is what does Houston do? Do they go quarterback? Because if they don't, if they don't, that opens things up for the Colts. And suddenly you have a conversation about, possibly three quarterbacks as opposed to two. And that's a lot more fun because you can make a pretty good case for each of those three. And obviously they each come with their flaws as well. What's funny about that is, too, Houston in that win really helped out the Colts in two different ways because you consider Houston, and and I think to me this is crazy. And, you know, Texans fans, one in particular, a friend of mine has explained it. Well, D'Amico Ryans is there, and he's going to install the 49ers offense. Thus, the quarterback, especially in year number one here, is not going to be that important. They're, they're going to be able to wait because it's about the entirety of the team. But, see, that's different. In San Francisco, you can win with Brock Purdy and other quarterbacks because everything is so good around you. Debo Samuels, George Kittle, that defense, everything is so good around you. Houston doesn't have that quality thus they should be drafting a quarterback at number two overall i don't know what they're doing yeah i'm with you and i've heard you say this on the air for the couple of weeks that you're just not buying this buzz that houston's going to pass on a quarterback the other thing you didn't mention is yeah D'Amico ryan's is in houston but you know who's not it's kyle shanahan he's one of the best offensive minds in this game they don't have george Kittle. they don't have debo samuel they don't have christian mccaffrey that team the way it's set up with a brock purdy can make a run to an nfc championship game Houston has no talent, maybe outside of Arizona, the thinnest roster in the league. And they've had Davis Mills for the better part of two seasons. It's just hard for me to see them passing on a quarterback with all these guys. I mean, they all, you know, they're top 10 grades, right? They're first round grades. 
beyond Bryce Young. It, it, it's still hard for me to see them passing on a quarterback. And until they do, I just, I just kind of refuse to believe the fact that they're going to pass on one at number two with the needs that they have. And, and they can say that D'Amico Ryan says all the time in the world, like Nick Casario, I'm not sure he does. They need to get this figured out one of these days. And this is their best chance they've had to go get a quarterback high. Zach Kiefer, the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I don't know if you've had the privilege to hear this particular C.J. Stroud quote. And I don't even have a timeline for it. It could have been earlier today, last week. I don't know. I just liked it because he sounded like Kenny Powers a little bit. I thought that was pretty sweet. But this is C.J. Stroud remarking regarding the S2 um, and in other situations he's kind of been put in. I think you're talking about Ohio State. You know, you go there to be a football player. He was asked if you know you go there to be a student whatever the case this was the cj stroud answer that i loved roll it <laughs> i'm not a, i'm not a test taker so uh, i play football uh for me uh but at the end of the day man i don't got nothing to prove to nobody so i don't i'm not gonna sit here and explain how i process football the people who are making the picks know what i can do um so that's all that matters to me there's a whole bunch of uh people who know how to coach better know how to play quarterback better know how to do everything on social media but um a man in the arena, that, that's what's tough, is, is stepping in the arena, 10 toes. So, um, and I'm going to stand on that. And I know what I can do. I know I can process well. I know if I'm not if I'm not the smartest quarterback in this draft, um, I know I'm one of the smartest quarterbacks in the NFL when I step in there tomorrow. So I have that confidence in myself. And I, and, uh, I don't think you can play at Ohio State and not be smart. So um, I don't got nothing to prove to nobody, man. Uh, at the end of the day, if you don't trust and believe in me, uh, all I can tell you is watch this. C.J. Stroud, Zach, from a little bit earlier today, in fact, that was the timeline. He said a couple of different times, I don't have anything to prove to anybody. Now, with me, I don't really care because I've seen it on the field, and you know this dude's going to have a chip on his shoulder, I think, regardless of what transpires in this draft because of what has been said and how he has been described in a lot of areas. We'll get to those in a second, but did you find any issue with that quote from earlier today regarding prospect C.J. Stroud? Yeah, and I wonder if he was asked about the S2 test, right, this new cognition test. And, look, I don't know what's accurate out there and what's not. I can't speak to that. But apparently C.J. Stroud's results were not nearly as high as some of the other quarterbacks. So that's the question about the test, right? Why didn't you score as well? And if I'm C.J. Stroud, I'm totally with you, John. You want to see how I do it when it's a test? Look at the college football semifinal against Georgia. That's a freaking test. That's the best team in the country with the best defense in the country with NFL guys at every level. How did I look that night? That was the best game he played in college. And, again, you don't play quarterback at Ohio State without being really smart and throw, what, 60 touchdowns to get seven interceptions. But this is the fascinating part because I walked out of the Lucas Oil Stadium in early March having watched the combine. And I get it. It's the combine. It's the underwear Olympics, all that. But the best athlete on the field was Anthony Richardson. The best quarterback on the field by far was C.J. Stroud. Now, Bryce Young didn't throw, but Stroud's accuracy jumped out to me. It was very obvious how much of an advanced passer he was compared to Levis and compared to Richardson. But it seems like after that, he was maybe going to be the number one pick, right? There was all that chatter for a couple weeks, and that's really shifted. That's really shifted to Bryce Young. Now we don't know what's going to happen with C.J. Stroud. Maybe he just goes number two to Houston and they don't overthink it. But if he starts to fall, then we're going to start to put some stock into this S2 cognition test. And if he didn't do well, and if teams are worried about him processing and thinking through the game, then it's a real thing. It's a real thing if the teams tell it is. Uh, It might not be, but that's fascinating. But, man, I feel like like people are going to overthink C.J. Stroud. You watch the tape, and what has Ballard said all along? 
accuracy wins. Accuracy wins. You have to win from the pocket. I think he's the most accurate of these four quarterbacks. The tape speaks to that. It's not just because he had Marvin Harrison Jr. and really good receivers at Ohio State. It's because he puts the ball right where it needs to be. Richardson struggled with that. Levis struggled with that. And I still can't really know if Bryce Young's size is going to hold up. So I think Stroud might be the most interesting quarterback in this draft, but you can certainly make that case for Richardson because, you know, I feel like Atlanta's a team that, that could be lurking in terms of trading up to number three. And then the team we keep hearing about over and over, and this changes the dynamic for Indianapolis, is if Tennessee at number 10 feels really emboldened to move up for one of these quarterbacks, are they able to offer more to Arizona to move up to three to get one of these guys? Because that's going to play out for five to ten years between these two teams in the same division. Here's Zach Key for the Athletic Draft coming up tomorrow. We're discussing that and more via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, you look at the Colts situation right now, and I've remarked about this, that um, they seem really comfortable where they are with what, as of right now, they're going to get at number four. I am, however curious do you think that there is at all a chance that they feel compelled to trade up it's chris ballard you know he doesn't want to to give up that much do they feel compelled to trade up or is it like that all these teams what they normally say you know outside of the board went the way we thought they always act like they know what was going to happen before it happens in this case is that the colts or are they going to be philosophy wise willing to trade up if need be, in your estimation? Yeah, so they've mocked this. They've simulate, simulated all of these scenarios. And, and I can't tell you what their board looks like because they're not leaking that out, obviously. But I think the question, John, the most possibly the most relevant question is, if Stroud makes it past two, what's our offer to Arizona? If we feel like there's a big gap between Stroud and Richardson or Stroud and Levis, right? If Stroud is that high, for them, then they have to know what they're willing to part. And the selling point to Arizona is you're still going to get the same guy, right? They're not going to draft a quarterback, so they're going to get the same guy at four that they would get at three. But you're essentially paying to block out the other teams, possibly possibly um, Seattle, possibly Detroit, possibly Atlanta, possibly Tennessee. How much does that cost? The Colts have a couple of extra fives laying around. Maybe it costs a two. Uh, I don't think it's going to cost a first-round pick next year or anything like that. But that's the game they've got to play, and they've got to know that right now. They've got to know that tomorrow before the draft gets here, right? If this happens, what are we going to do? If this happens, what are we going to do? And, yeah, we hear that, you know, they're comfortable where they're at. Do you buy that? Like, do you buy that they're just ranking Levis, Richardson, and Stroud all in the same class, and they're good with any three? Well, like, I, these quarterbacks are so different. There's no way, right? They got. I, I guess I do have to kind of buy it because that's their position right now. That's the way that it seems. I mean, they, they don't, yeah, I mean they, with all this, I, I understand that. But with all this other stuff, what we're talking about still before tomorrow. Like, I don't know what the feel might be like for them tomorrow. I just know that all these days leading up, they feel fairly comfortable where they are. Because you, and here's the reason why. You haven't heard anything as far as any interest. You know, not even made-up rumors about interest yeah. in moving up going someplace else, being compelled to do that because what they don't want isn't going to be there at four. So that has led me, Zach, to judge that they feel, as of right now, relatively comfortable in getting what they want it for. I think that's a fair assumption because at four, you're going to get one of those three quarterbacks, right? It just doesn't seem like, you know, it just feels like you're going to get one of those three not named Bryce Young. 
But the reality is this thing really starts at number two, like I mentioned, with what Houston does. We'll see what they do. And I think if you're Arizona, there's absolutely no reason to trade out of that pick until tomorrow night, right? Let's see what Houston does, and then let's see who calls us. And then they're going to take the best offer they can get, right? Houston needs all the talent. Excuse me, Arizona needs all the talent they can get. They're a little bit like Houston. Like, they just don't have players right now. Like, they don't have any names. So they're going to need to get a stud, probably on the defensive side of the ball, to start that new regime down in Arizona. What are the Colts willing to do? I, I just find that hard to believe. I feel like Anthony Richardson is so different from Will Levis. And I feel like C.J. Stroud is so different from both of them. They've got to have these guys ranked. And they've got to have one ahead of the other, ahead of the other. And this is too important of a decision. This is too monumental of a decision. And this position is too important to just kind of take whatever you get. That's my stance at least. We'll see what they say with what they do. And we'll see what they say afterward. Because if they get up there and say we were fine with any of the three, We'll see how that plays out because these quarterbacks, these four quarterbacks are going to be compared to each other for a long, long time about how the, how the results play out in the league and what the decisions are tomorrow in the next 24 hours. Hey, Zach, do you find the argument against drafting Stroud or a criticism of Stroud that he had too much talent around him, it was too easy? Do you find that as lame as I do? Yeah, yeah. Look, well, like, turn on the tape, right? Like, I think – and you've done this for three, four months, right? All the chatter, all the speculation, all the rumors. We're overdoing it. We're overanalyzing it. We're looking at everything. Like, we're forgetting the most important thing is what they did on the field when they played football. He made some really big plays last year, and it wasn't just because he had a good offense. And he shouldn't be punished for having good players around him. Uh, I watched it in his pro day. His pro day compared to Levis's, and I know they're throwing in shorts. There was a notable difference. There was a notable difference in ball placement and accuracy and all that. But this happens every year, and you got to buy into what you believe, and, and you got to ignore some of the other stuff. But I think the teams will tell us really what they think of C.J. Stroud tomorrow because I think he's such a fascinating thing in this, in this draft. I just – listen, the success of Joe Burrow at LSU. Did check out the yeah. roster of offensive talent he had around him, Right. What, what, nothing. Right. I didn't. I don't remember hearing a damn thing about that. Right. I remember hearing about his hand size. So there was another ridiculous layer in his draft <laughs> process, right? And, and again, I understand we're, we're comparing two different players. He had this incredible season. Uh, they won the national title and all that. But I mean, he was he was he was not subtracted because or criticized because of the incredible talent that was around him like people are doing Stroud, and I just think that sounds stupid. Right, right, but that happens every year. It happens every year. Boss, people pick apart their games. They bring up tests. We'll see, but I feel like Houston, I feel like they're not going to overthink it. Does Houston need a quarterback? Damn right they do. They're going to roll with Davis Mills for another year. Like that's really hard, and they're trying to they're trying to sell a new brand, a new team, a new regime down there, and it would just be surprising to me. But there's all this Will Levis chatter. There's a little bit of Anthony Richardson chatter. Um, we'll find out soon. But I think, and tell me if you disagree. If C.J. Stroud falls and the Colts come out of this draft with him, I think Chris Ballard comes out smelling like roses. That's my opinion. I don't know what kind of pro he's going to be, but everything I've heard so far, I like about him accuracy, maturity. I shouldn't. He shouldn't be knocked for playing with great players at Ohio State like you just mentioned. 
that's a win for the Colts because you didn't have to move up to one to get him. Yeah, and I, I would I would agree with that. I also kind of take it like this with with this group, and regardless of if you selected any of the four that we most commonly talk about here, it is still going to be a a wait and see because there, there's not that one rising above the rest like there was an Andrew Luck or, you know, as we have seen in the past. I mean, the, the, there are a number of warts that come still with all these guys. So I, I think that's why, for the most part, you shouldn't see a lot of anger coming up after this selection because you can make an argument out of one or the other and go like 13 different ways with them all that's just how even it seems to be right now the proving ground is going to be you know when we see them how quickly do we see them and how productive they end up being but right now yeah i think that just the fact that you have designated this draft to finally move the meter on your young quarterback of the long-term future that just seems like a win in general for colts fans yeah, I'm with you. Like, I was talking about the guys in the media room today. Like, you can talk yourself into any of these four guys. You really can. I don't I don't know if you've heard this, but I, there's a lot of anti-Will Levis out there. Yeah, I don't like that either. Yeah. If I, and I don't, I, don't really, I don't really get that. You know, some people have Carson Wentz vibes. They're two different guys, and, and I've watched the tape on Levis, and there's a lot to like. There really is. There's certainly some interceptions you hate, but Richardson's got his flaws, and Stroud might be too robotic, and Young is too small, right? You can pick apart these guys in different in different ways, but you're getting do you think Indy's gonna be patient? Because I think the regime's gonna be patient. I think the owner's gonna be patient. And you hired this coach and gave him a six year contract. That's important here. If they draft Anthony Richardson, there's a chance he doesn't play next year. Now this guy needs live reps. I understand that as well. But they're gonna be thinking long term with this. I really think this draft pick's about twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five more than it's about twenty twenty three. And I understand Fans are going to want this guy to play right away, and they're going to flock to Westfield in August to watch him. But this is going to be a long, long process, and we're going to really not start to know until about two to three years in if he's really a dude. Like, even Reggie, Reggie Wayne told a story today of Andrew's first year, and and Andrew was the guy, right? Like, everybody knew he was going to be a stud. And even Reggie had to take him aside early and say, you don't worry about the offense. I'll hold everything down. You just play quarterback. And it was about 12 weeks into that season. They went 11-5 and five that year, right? Luck was a pro bowler as a rookie. When Luck went up to Reggie and said, okay, I really have it all figured out right now. And that was, I mean, he's a freaking prodigy, right? So that was Andrew Luck. Like, this is going to take time. And I know that's not fun to hear, but they're going to have to be patient with this guy. And, and I think it'll be interesting to see the response because I know there's an anti-Will Levis sentiment. I'm sure there's an anti-Anthony Richardson. I'm sure some people are down on Stroud. But, like, watch the tape, and all these guys can do a lot of really fun things. And they're going to be a fun quarterback if it works out. But it's going to take a couple years, and I know that's not the fun thing And some of it with Levis, and that's who I'm going to go with because I've gone with that. And, and I've told you this before. I, You know, that's something before everything went absolutely down in terms of lockdown. That was a name that I'd heard well before that. Uh, and, yeah, and again, things, for a while. Yeah, things could have changed. I understand that. But the fact is, I haven't heard anything to believe that it's going to change. And, you know, if you're trying to, to look for signs and trying to read the tea leaves, I guess, the fact that they have remained confident there at number four to this point seems to me that, again, as of right now, they believe who they want is going to be there at number four. And up until yesterday, you thought that Levis was absolutely going to be there at four. So I had really no reason not to maintain 
my assumption and my educated guess that that's who it's going to be tomorrow night at four. Yeah, and the crazy thing about his, Will Levis could go as high as number two, or he could fall, right? I mean, I mean, as, as low as 15, 16, I don't know. I'm just making numbers up, but it feels like if one of the four falls, it's going to be him, and he could fall outside the top ten. I don't think that's going to happen, but it doesn't seem like Anthony Richardson's going to fall much further than seven or eight. But we'll see. We'll see. It'd be, it'd be a stunner if Levis went two to Houston. But, again, um, we've seen things like this in the past. You never really know. Everybody was sure that Mac Jones was going to go third to San Francisco a couple of years ago, and he didn't go to 15 to the Patriots. So that's going to be the fun part. But, man, aren't you tired of reading the tea leaves? Aren't you ready to get to tomorrow yeah. night? Uh, you know, it comes with the territory. You understand this, too. I mean, it, it, it's, right. it's better. I will say this. It's better than not talking about it. Like, it's more interesting to talk about it than it not being around, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like when we it's get into we get into June and Ju- we get into June and July and have to grind it out then, yeah, you're gonna wish you had this conversation still going on. And I guess to a degree we will, but it uh you, you wish you had this. And I, I do. I, I kinda like it. I like the differing opinions and I really like this year because there is just no overwhelming this is who it's going to be type of decision to be made. And and we'll close out on Levis. A lot that has been described of him, and you know, besides what you saw a year ago compared to what you saw where he was outstanding the year prior at Kentucky, people will suggest he's he's too cocky, he's too arrogant. And I go, perfect. Perfect. Because to me, the, the Colts are also in this to look for a consummate leader. And I don't yeah. think it's automatically going to be there. This is something, and the major reason why they chose Shane Steichen is for this. He is going to teach and mold this quarterback into what he wants and believes. And a part of that aspect is doing that in terms of leadership, guidance, understanding, all things leadership-wise that position hasn't had since Phillip Rivers here, all that they're looking for. But this is something they're going to try to build within. They're looking for it. They may not get it initially, but that's the reason why Shane Steichen is here for this moment. And, and Levis is a good kid. Like, he's not this cocky, arrogant prick. I don't know if that's a real theory out there, but trust me, like, I didn't have the greatest opinion of him after the combine. I didn't think it was the greatest press conference. Again, it's 15 minutes, and you're getting questions shouted at you from a group of 100 reporters. It's not a very representative period to to really learn a lot about a guy. But I went down to Lexington, and I talked to his coaches, and I saw him around his teammates, and I talked to his teammates, and I had a much more positive impression of him after that. And the, and the other reality is this guy's obsessed with football, and that matters to Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen is going to have a huge say in this decision, and I really believe Levis has that obsessive quality that the coach is looking for. Like he would watch the, the film of Kentucky's spring practices before he transferred, and then he would call Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator, and he'd ask him 15 questions about what he saw and what he was learning and to make sure he was doing it right. Like that's what coaches want. And he's got the physical tools. And, and like you said, coaches believe that they can make these guys better. If the, if the worst thing they're doing is footwork, if the worst thing they're doing is mechanical, like absolutely coaches are going to believe that they can fix that. Every coach believes they can fix that. So I, I don't get the vibes on Levis. I don't get the uproar about why people are so negative on him. I think he'd be fine. I think you could work with it. The question is, do you want a guy that you feel pretty good about in day one? Or do you want to maybe take a swing on a guy – 
that might grow into a player that could scare the living crap out of defenses for a long time, and that could be Anthony Richardson. Very different quarterbacks, in my opinion. Hey, Zach, one final thing. I um, I was thinking about this, too, and this is not going to be an anti-Chris Ballard question. A lot of people would think, oh, yeah, you just don't like Ballard or whatever. This is not the case at all. Uh, and I know others are going to suggest, well, it's his first year. He hasn't even coached a game yet. Why would you hold so much confidence? But as much as I've thought about this, to me, the deciding opinion on where to go at quarterback at number four should be the rookie head coach in Shane Steichen. He's the one that's going to be molding and working with. He knows what has been good for him in the past. And nothing against Ballard, nothing against Jim Irsay. But to me, this should be, more than anybody else, a Steichen opinion about where they're going at number four tomorrow. Do you agree? I don't think that's crazy to say at all. And I think Ballard would almost agree with you. Now it's Ballard's job to pull the trigger, and it's on Ballard's resume. And this is the pick that will define his tenure. I asked him that last Friday, and he kind of brushed it off and said, yeah, you guys feel more pressure than I do. Yeah, but that's the reality, man. This pick is everything for this franchise. But to answer your question, absolutely. You're betting not just on this young passer. You're betting on your new head coach, who you gave a six-year contract to, who you hired above 13 other candidates, you know, really for this job, right? It's not just being the head coach, right? It's to mold this young passer. And that's what Ursay's wanted. Ursay didn't want to go get Carson Wentz. He wanted to go young in the draft and develop his own. That matters a lot to him. And that's what this coach is here to do. So I'm with you, man. He's worked with Jalen Hurts. He's worked with Justin Herbert. He's worked with Phillip Rivers. There's no real one skill set that makes you think Steichen has a preference. But the one thing I keep going back to is that obsessive quality. Every time we ask Shane about what he wants in a quarterback, he wants himself. Like, he wants a guy who's all ball. Every time you ask someone about Shane Steichen, they're like, he's all ball. All football. That's what Steichen's looking for, and that's not necessarily something you see on tape. It's what you see and hear and feel in these meetings they've had with these quarterbacks the last couple of weeks. And, you know, gun to my head, if, if they're on the clock tomorrow night and they don't know who it's going to be between two guys and they turn to Steichen and say, which one do you want? I feel like that's fine. You're rolling the dice on the kid. You're rolling the dice on your coach. And give your coach the guy he wants and see, and see how it works out. Well, again, Chris Ballard got a new lease on his general manager position. He's got three years. You mentioned the contract length of Shane Steichen. So there is a comfort. I think most Colts fans out there, you want to see signs, right? Positive signs. You want a little bit of juice. There's no doubt about that. But I think it's a foregone conclusion. Most Colts fans understand the situation they're in right now. And uh, all that work starts coming up tomorrow night, presumably at number four overall. Zach Kiefer, the Athletic, is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We'll catch up with you, you know, maybe again with some reaction on Friday, but certainly at some point next week with the overall reaction. And, you know, there are more picks more molding to do too and me cornerback edge rusher wide receiver again you know all positions of interest where they're going to have to try to get better coming up over the course of this weekend i appreciate as always zach thank you thanks john have a good one whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, the Believe Network podcast. We've had many a guest on from that. They're always outstanding. The host of the first team podcast on Stadium as well. Joe DeLeon, college football NFL draft analyst on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Joe, thank you for the time. How you doing? Good, good. I'm excited. It kind of feels like it's the day before a game. I, I just can't wait for things to kick off tomorrow, but so much is going to happen tomorrow. I can't wait to see what ends up happening. It's funny about that, too. I've mentioned this all along. When In terms of free agency and the draft, I think fans in general now are about as excited to talk about off-season stuff in the NFL than they are about talking about what goes on week-to-week in games, in and out of games. I think we're at that point right now. You agree? Oh, absolutely. And I think for bad football teams, too, it gets to that spot where you know your team's out of it. If you're a team like the Texans or the Bears, you're just waiting to see by, by week 13. It's like, okay, let's let's start looking at these prospects. And you kind of start to see that uptick in viewership and listenership on, on draft shows. But you know, I think the excitement's starting to really build, and it's going to come to come to fruition on Thursday. I brought you in with that tweet from Adam Schefter regarding Houston. That was with their uh, second first-round selection. Are you buying that they're going to pass on a quarterback with number two overall tomorrow night? Absolutely. I, I really don't think that they're going to take a quarterback at all in the first round. I, I got a lot of indirect indications throughout this process that they weren't in love with any particular guy in the class. There were different issues that they had with all four of the top guys. And I think with that in mind, if you're not in love with anyone, you don't need to make that move. You can wait until next year. D'Amico Ryan signed a long deal with the Houston Texans, and it puts them in a position to take someone in 2024 and then bolster the rest of this young roster, add defensive talent wherever they can. And I think that they could likely take a defensive end at number two and then maybe – come back around with an offensive lineman or one of these top corners with that pick at 12. Again, Joe DeLeon of the Believe Podcasting Network with us day before the draft via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. The first team podcast on stadium college football and NFL draft analysts. So, all right, depending upon if they do what you suggest they're going to do at number two, what, what's the effect? Number three, what, what does Arizona do? And then how does that ultimately affect what the Colts do at number four in your estimation? Yeah, I think once there's not a quarterback taken at two by the Texans, it's going to incentivize some of these teams that are picking outside of the top 10 or the back end of the top 10. Uh, like the Tennessee Titans, I think, is the most likely candidate to maybe move up. I'd also watch the Houston – or not the Houston Texans, the, uh, the Minnesota Vikings as a potential team to maybe move up as well. But that third pick is prime real estate. And I think the Cardinals, if they're smart with a bad team and needing a lot of different – spots to be filled on this roster they should move back and I really do think someone's going to move up and I I frankly would not be surprised if Will Levis isn't the second quarterback taken off the board I have him ranked as my fourth ranked quarterback but the NFL is is a lot higher on him he checks every single box big strong kid big arm quality athlete tough apparently he's a very high character leader as well so with all that being checked off I think it makes a lot of sense for him to be the second one taken and potentially at that three spot. Well, I've said this for a while now, and and, and nothing has you know, changed my my mind on it, although the Colts have been under lock and key, and that's a good thing. So nothing's been coming out of there. But I you know, I, I was you know, told back during the season that they had, had specific interests during the season in Will Levis while he was at Kentucky. Um, I don't find too much reason – 
to come off of that? Do you think, A, Levis goes to number four, and do you think, B, if he does, the Colts, even if Stroud's available, would decide to go that direction? Yeah, I think that the decision, frankly, is going to be between Will Levis or actually Anthony Richardson. And to your point earlier, it's one of the few picks where they have been lock and key. They haven't given up anything. They haven't put anything out there. But if we're trying to make a – an educated guess in a way, I really liked the thought of Anthony Richardson being that pick for the reason that Shane Steichen, what he had last year in Jalen Hurts as his quarterback when he was the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. They ran a lot of read option. They ran a lot of QB-designed runs with a big, strong guy in Jalen Hurts. And I think that Anthony Richardson is an exciting option for him because he's bigger and stronger than Jalen Hurts and he's got a big arm as well and if you can tap into that you can refine some of those issues you could have a very explosive offense with Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor next to him but Will Levis is still a fantastic option if that's the route that they do want to go in if he's still on the board Um, maybe not as athletic as Will Levis but still certainly a big strong kid who who can run the football if they choose to go that direction. Joe presumably Panthers go young Texans go best defensive player, let's just say Will Anderson at number two, which leaves the Cardinals there at number three. I'm assuming open to the highest bidder. Logically to you, who may be the team to jump up there and again, presumably to jump up there to get a quarterback, and who do you think that would be? I still think the one that makes the most sense is the Tennessee Titans, considering the amount of capital for the Minnesota Vikings to move up that high, or the Washington Commanders to move up that high is going to be a a very steep asking price. I think if either of those two teams do move up, it's going to be later on in the top 10 uh, when the price isn't as expensive. But the Titans, they're really in a tough position right now. I don't think that Ryan Tannehill is a long-term answer. And Malik Willis, as we saw, was was very uh, not a very good option for them. And I think that there's a sense that he's not going to be the long-term answer. He was a bit of a dart throw, and there's already a pretty clear answer that he might not be able to figure it out very quickly in a timeline that they're willing to wait for. I think that if they're going to move up to that three spot again, it would be to go and take Will Levis. He fits exactly with what Mike Rabel has preached in a way and, and put out there in his mentality of tough, hard-nosed, hard-nosed, gritty football players. So I think the Titans are probably the most likely to move up to that three spot. How about this, and maybe I'm just throwing this out there because of the – the geographical compatibility here. But what if you're the Titans and you wait at 11 because you like Hendon Hooker? Would Hendon Hooker be there? And would they have any interest in somebody that obviously you would see a great deal before that injury within your own state? Yeah, I actually think that's a possibility. It's a strong possibility that if they do sit there, and I think Hooker is going to be available in the middle to the end of the first round. I don't think he's going to go as early as some of these other guys, but I do really think that the Titans could talk themselves into it. My co-host Matt Sims pushed for it on on our show and said that keep him in the state, keep him in Tennessee, and they're not going to regret it. And then my other co-host, Ryan Roberts, kind of gave some comparisons of Hendon Hooker to Ryan Tannehill. So you're going to be able to get a lot of those similar traits to being able to throw on the run, having good deep accuracy, being a good athlete, you're getting, in a way, a younger version of Ryan Tannehill. Uh, and he's, frankly, one of the more ready-to-play guys, in my opinion. Even though he played in an easy offense, he's still an older player who's more technically refined. He's seen a lot more than some of these other guys. So I do really like that thought. I think it's a possibility and one that's 
frankly been dismissed a lot, and it's one that hasn't been talked up enough. Well, I'm glad I provided that content for everybody out there. <laughs> so, yeah, it's more than just a geographical relationship right there regarding Hendon Hooker. I, I, I think that he gets unfairly, and I know he's you know 24, the age and, and the injury. I think somebody may take a chance on him and be pleasantly surprised when things are said and done. Age, uh, injury, whatever. Um, somebody's going to get lucky, I think, with that guy. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And I think his floor is the lowest, or sorry, is the highest compared to everybody else. He has a very steady understanding of, I think, what he can step in and do right away. Is he going to transcend the same way that Anthony Richardson or Will Levis could because their arms are huge and they're big, strong athletes? Probably not, but he feels like such a steady starter that can maybe not start right away because he's still fully recovering from the knee injury, but eventually take over mid-season or at the end of the year and be a really good pro. He's just He's got everything that you want, and I agree with you. For some reason, it's just been so unfairly uh, knocked throughout this process. All right. Uh, again, Joe DeLeon joins us. First team, podcast, stadium, believe network, podcaster, college football, NFL draft analyst on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Give me a player that is going to get some upward mobility in this draft that will surprise everybody and a player that will slide that will also equally surprise everybody tomorrow night. Who you got? Yeah, I think that the biggest potential surprise that could sneak in i pay close attention to cedric tillman or jonathan mingo there's not a lot of big receivers in this class it's a lot of small shifty guys a lot of slot receivers deep threats so i think as teams want to pigeonhole a guy and and make a reach for a bigger body player like jonathan mingo or cedric tillman i could see that type of a reach happening if someone does slide, I think uh, Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah, is one to pay attention to. Hasn't really done any testing, hasn't really been available for any of that stuff because of an injury he suffered at the end of the season. And frankly, he would have benefited from having those numbers, but I think there's just some question marks now where maybe Darnell Washington or Luke Musgrave or some of these other guys go ahead of him. Uh, just because of all of that, he, he might slide out of the first round. And he's been somebody who's been painted to either be tight end one or at the very bare minimum, tight end two in this class, who, again, I think could be a likely uh, slide-out candidate. One more thing before I let you go here, Joe, to the most intriguing player that's not being talked about off-the-radar style that you're watching right now. Yeah, the biggest one for me is Tucker Kraft, the tight end from South Dakota State. He is extremely talented he missed some time due to injury um he was on a national championship team and was a part of the uh the playoff run that south dakota state had and he is such a tenacious aggressive blocker he is a a great vertical threat good route runner good hands he checks every box he's just coming from the fcs level and he he even had some pretty massive and i talked to him uh, during this process that last summer he had offers from massive power five programs to take money to go transfer to them, and he chose to stay stay at South Dakota State, so a testament to his character as well. He's going to be one of those guys, I think kind of like Mark Andrews, where in a couple of years we're going to be saying, how the heck did we let him go in the third, fourth round? He should have gone so much sooner. So Tucker Craft is definitely my pick for that. He is the former Rhode Island long snapper, 
host of the First Team Podcast on Stadium. At Believe Network, the college football and NFL draft analyst is Joe DeLeon. Now, how often does your podcast, Is It on Stadium? And I'm curious, sometimes I'll pump gas at Speedway and Stadium will pop up on the video screen while you're pumping gas. Will I ever see yeah, you doing your thing while I'm pumping uh, gas? I, I don't know if we'll pop up on the uh, on the gas uh, the gas tank. I hope but, that you do because uh, I'll be proud if you do. <laughs> I, if I do, you got to let me know. But yes, we, uh, we air with a couple of the other Believe shows uh, throughout the weekend and, and into the night on on Friday. Uh, my show, the Best to Believe show, which is uh, the Charity Stripe crew, and it's just kind of a wraparound clip show from all the content on the network and then also believe me with cam rogers so those three shows air on the weekend and it's not just my show the first team if anyone wants to check out some of that good content we've got some great stuff uh, that airs on stadium you got it man I, i'm just curious because i see that i see like jeff goodman's face up there and then shams <laughs> up there so i'll be a it'll be a proud moment if i'm pumping gas and i see you up there i'm excited yeah if you do see me you gotta let me know <laughs> you got it buddy appreciate it enjoy the draft tomorrow thanks joe have a good one Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Greg Rakestraw, he does join us. Hello, Greg. How are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? I was going to ask you this. We'll get to the Colts in a second. I'm going to redirect, though. I said this, and I don't believe it was to you last week. Maybe it was Kyle Neddenrip. Maybe I did say it to you last week. Um, I, I feel still pretty firm about in high school that with Max Clark at Franklin and Keegan Rothrock at Ron Colley, for the first time, and again, assuming ever, that this state could actually have the best in softball and the best in baseball high school-wise in the United States, that's pretty close, isn't it? The folks at Max Preps thought so uh, when they put out their preseason uh, rankings of individual talent. And they go, those are very subjective but the fact that we've got two kids in the conversation that literally live like 10 miles apart from each other is insane i'm hopeful at some point to have a chance to call one of max's games for franklin i know i will get to see keegan in action next wednesday so i will be doing the ron collie new pal game at new pal i hope the weather this wednesday is as gorgeous as or next wednesday is as gorgeous as it is today because if that's the case, there'll probably be 1,500 to 2,000 people out at Newpal because that facility can't accommodate it. It's gorgeous. So I'm hopeful that we get to see that level of crowd uh, seven days from now. Yeah, no doubt. But that, it's serious. I mean, I don't even know if if Indiana's ever been close. I mean, when you consider softball and baseball, you know, Florida, California, states right. like that, rarely would you ever consider Indiana. And we have had, frankly, more top-level prospects in baseball than we've had in softball. I'm sure there is someone right now that is more softball knowledgeable than I that is streaming at the radio. We had this player, this player, this player. Right. Um, it, I, I've only really started covering this sport on a regular or routine basis over the course of the last couple of years where, I frankly, I see more high school softball now than I do baseball uh, during the months of April and May. That kind of reverses. I usually do a couple of baseball state finals because of the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star games. I tend to miss the softball state finals these days. 
but uh, Keegan Rothrock is it, is something special, uh, and uh, and has been now for each of the last three years. It's a Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I know people say that they're tired of it, and I'm sure to a degree they are, but they still long each and every day for all this draft conversation <laughs> that we give them that will go from our judgments and our thoughts to our breakdown on what goes down coming up tomorrow night at number four. You got any feel whatsoever? We're not going to hold you to it, right? I think I'm going to be held to mine, probably, but we won't sure. hold you to it because there's just really, the, the Colts are handling this as well as you possibly could because there's not been a sliver of info go anywhere leading up to this, which is very good. But what's your educated guess on the direction they go tomorrow night? The educated guess has been Levis. My only question is, is C.J. Stroud suddenly available? I don't think he will be. Um, but is, is could Levis be off the board uh, by the time you get to pick number four? And And it appears the Colts have been pretty steadfast in terms of I think because they don't want to give up other assets in terms of other picks to move up to two, and again, Houston should not trade with them. Um, or three, uh, I think Arizona's going to trade with somebody, frankly, at, at some point. Um, that the Colts, again, by what we've been able to glean from anybody, is that people have been saying the Colts should move up. I don't think the Colts want to move up. I think the Colts want to stick at four because they want to keep their pick at 35. They want to keep their pick in the third round knowing they need to have impact players probably at quarterback, wide receiver, and cornerback all addressed in the first couple of days of this draft. So with that, again, I would lean towards Levis too, but you, you again, you have to watch it play out and see what is Houston going to do at two, and, and again, I think it's more of who is picking at three, not what Arizona is going to do at three. I had mentioned this. There's really no get mad and shake your fist pick sure. at number four. Is there? It's, it's, I mean, because there's nobody that's absolutely <laughs> knocked down, drag out the one. So I'm assuming that if you really do get mad out of this selection, you're just kind of doing it because you're either mad all the time in general or doing it as a fake cause to be mad. Because to, to me, and again, you still hold Chris Ballard and company accountable. That's just the way that it is. But I don't know how you can be mad because, at least at this point, these players are all so closely knit in terms of who you should draft and who you shouldn't. I would give you not a particular player, but a particular position. The way that people are, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore, to give you a network quote, um, would be if it's not a quarterback at four. That's that's when people understand shake their fist and, and probably have the right to. But you are right. Assuming it is one of the four quarterbacks, I don't think anybody thinks there's any way that Bryce Young ends up to the Colts at four, so he's the one you probably kind of take off the board. I would say a sliver of a chance that Stroud is there at four. More than likely it is Levis or Richardson, or you're picking from those two. And if you're still not taking a quarterback at four, then people will have that reaction. And I understand why. He's uh, Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. A shift of the gears to college basketball. I just saw where 
point guard Xavier Johnson received his medical waiver. He will play for IU next season. In, in terms of really not knowing a great deal about this team as they're still cobbling this together on the fly after losing a couple of significant pieces this past year from that Hoosier squad, how do you think this IU team looks, at least on paper, with being able to sustain with Xavier Johnson next year? I would say incomplete would be how, how I would give it to him. Um, I, I have I have not been concerned with the caliber of talent that Indiana could bring in in this modern era. In the if it's now a truly an arms race in terms of your your NIL collectives, in terms of being able to pay players and do it above the board, there are a few that frankly will match the amount of money that Indiana can throw at a roster. 17,000 fans every night will do that to you. I saw a deal where Malik Renew will have his own burger at Big Woods this year. You want to tell me how many points per game Malik averaged for Indiana this past year and he has his own burger deal? Right. If if you do if you can do something like that for a, a backup big who has to play a larger role this year. But if your backups are 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 getting that sort of scratch out of this deal, uh, it should not be hard to recruit players to come to Indiana University. Now, do we have those specific names just yet? No, I know there's the big kid from Oregon, um, and there are others that, 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 that need to be coming in. So it's not like I can point to, hey, this guy's going to be better. Hey, this guy's going to be the guy. They don't have that answer yet. I just know that the funds are available, and literally we can say it that way, for, for, a, for a top-level players to come here and make this a top-level Big Ten slash nationally competitive team. That's the way the game is played these days, and Indiana is more than well-equipped to play the game. By the way, I think my burger at Ford's Garage will outdistance Malik Renew's burger at Big Woods. Wouldn't you agree? I, 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 well, obviously, you've had years of, of advertising to catch up, you know, to, to kind of take, take, take a lead. I have not had the ability to or the chance to eat either of those burgers. Yeah. I am willing to take the Pepsi Challenge on the show next week and offer a full breakdown next Tuesday if you'd like me to. The uh, Renew Burger looks like it has uh, meat and cheese and bacon and an onion ring of some kind right there, too. Uh, that that would renew my day right there. Yeah. My appetite is renewed. Just saying. That. Are, are you surprised that there haven't been more of uh, a check mark in the scoring column with IU getting these transfer portal? I know they got Ware, which was a big deal, and you know Sparks is going to be on that team for Ball State and Michael Lewis's right. program. But are you surprised they haven't taken a bigger bite out of the transfer portal to this point? A little bit, and again for all the reasons that I said. Again, this this is. This is an easy program to recruit to when you're playing in front of 17,000 every night. And again, this is, this is a line from, the, from late 80s Saturday Night Live. It is the all-drug Olympics. And that, and that is not meant to cast Indiana or college basketball in a negative light. But right now, it, that, that's the way of the world. It is an open economy. It is the wild, wild west. And again, when you're a program like Indiana – who has the resources to go out and get the best players available. I'm surprised there's not been a little more chatter about it, to be blunt with you. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What's on the agenda later on this week and next week? So the agenda for me uh, is is largely getting to be a dad as far as this weekend is concerned. So I will be doing the Hoosier Reunion Classic that we do every year on ISC. 
before injuries took hold, I think 33 different Division One players playing in the games this weekend at the Hoosier Gym, one of my favorite events every year. I am skipping the Indy 11 game Saturday night because my daughter is one of the leads in the CFI 84 school musical. I miss a lot because of my schedule. That is something I am not willing to miss. So thank you to the Indy 11 uh, for allowing me to skip out on Saturday night's game so I can go be a dad. Um, next week, let's see. I've, Sunday, I've got the Horizon League Tennis Championships for ESPN+. Plus. Monday, the folks from West Washington allowed me to come down and broadcast the Lanesville-West Washington baseball game. Stoked about that. You're going to like this one, John. On Tuesday, I've got your Sycamores for ESPN+. Plus. That's nice. When I talk to you next Tuesday, Bob Warrenfield will be the location, as Indiana State has won, what, 14, 15 consecutive games at this point. I'll do a little track and field next week. John, I am all over the map the first week of May. You're going to play the track and field video game, too? Uh, probably not, uh, but but if it helps me study and prepare for the meet, then maybe I should do that. Okay, as a, a button presser, if you remember that game, that video game, that arcade game, it had two buttons that you had to hit as quickly as possible. Did you use fingers, or did you use a prop, like a pencil or a back pocket comb? What did you do for I track did, and field? I, I did neither of those. Uh, my, my experience with, you know, Pizza Hut slash down-home pizza arcade games would have been Galaga, Pac-Man, uh, pinball, pole position. That was kind of my genre that I specialized in. I got you. Makes sense. Prepare to qualify. Greg Rakestraw. <laughs> the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. We'll see what happens coming up tomorrow night. We'll get you back on next week. Have a great weekend. Sounds good, buddy. What's uh, what's the theme for Saturday night? Not to fast forward past 256 picks in the draft, but <laughs> what should I be thinking about for Saturday night well, at B1057? You're going to have to phone in Friday night because I'm hosting Roar at Ron Colley. Ah. Their event on Saturday, so the JMV Takeover moves to Friday night. It is nothing but the 90s. So you may have to give me a heads up if you go to a place that's going to require me to edit a little bit. If you know what I mean. Nah, I, I, I'll find something that is radio friendly from my favorite decade. That's no problem. There's not a full disclosure. If you go into the B1057 catalog, there is not a lot of Tupac and Dr. Dre. <laughs> There's, I do not think that they have the chronic catalog songs in their their own music catalog right now. So I will find you the radio edit of Doggy Dog World. We'll, we'll be we'll be good to go. Gotcha, man. Appreciate you. See ya. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Mayonnaise. That's appropriate. The Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You guys were blanking around with mayonnaise this morning on the morning show. What happened? We were, um... Yes, in honor of potentially Will Levis uh, being the pick, we decided to drop a little mayonnaise in some coffee and um, consume that. Um, I believe Levis did that on a, on an occasion. He's known to do some kind of um, interesting food stuff, to say the least. So it was about as utterly horrifying as you would imagine, just the, the kerplunk of the mayo into the coffee. Was was quite the uh, mm. quite the sound, and then watching it curdle up, it, you know, it really uh, it got chunky in there real quick. Chunky. 
Kevin Bowen, The Morning Show, Kevin Inquiry, 7 until 10 a.m., where they all three had a diet of coffee and mayonnaise this morning uh, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I, I brought this up to Zach Kiefer a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, it, my impression, and I don't know if you agree with me or not, my impression is this, that if there is going to be an overall um, defining decision on their selection of quarterback at number four, wherever it is, you know, if it's you know further up, which I don't think it will be, or at number four, as we're talking about it right now, Shane Steichen, to me, even as a rookie head coach, right, he should have, you know, even if it's by a half a percentage, he should have the most over general manager and owner or anybody else as to who he's going to be molding and working with for the long-term future under center for the Colts. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um you know, I'm not holding my breath that that necessarily will happen, but there's there's nothing, there's very little to nothing on the Chris Ballard, Jim Mercer resume that should all of a sudden mean that they get more say in this than Shane Steichen. Um, Steichen's resume just absolutely, um, whatever, outplays the other two or, or certainly garners or should garner. Uh, more of a voice, um, not to mention he's going to be the one, you know, directly working with this guy much more so than the other two. Um, and, and again, I feel like this is just kind of a part of the draft process that we forget about. It's like you draft the guy and then it's like, oh, wait, there's a whole lot more that goes into it. R- Reggie Wayne is actually talking about that today. I mean, certainly Peyton had, you know, Marvin Harrison and Tara Glenn, you know, w- on the roster when he was drafted, but you know, from a Reggie Wayne, a Dallas Clark, a Joseph Adai, a you know, Mathis, a Freeney, you know, Jeff Saturday. I mean, there are a lot of guys that weren't here that obviously were central figures to that era having as much success as it did. Um, so, you know, just drafting the guy doesn't stop there. You, you know, might have to develop a whole lot and then, of course, support um, in years to come. But, yeah, when you're dividing up decision makers and who should have the loudest voice or the strongest voice or the one you trust the most in that room, uh, without question, it should be Shane Steichen, and it should be overwhelming in the Shane Steichen favor. I just wonder what direction he might be thinking. I mean, and that's I think that's why, because there are warts on all these guys, there is no clear path. You know, we don't come up with a unanimous decision as we did, for example, with Andrew Luck. You just look maybe for the best fit for this team long term, and then the best fit for now the the six year you know, contracted first year head coach. You have any idea who that should be? Because I, I really don't. I, I think to me, he's there because he's capable of doing anything, and I, I don't want him called the quarterback whisper. By the way. Because everybody referenced that as Frank Reich here, and that was far from the case results-wise, as we saw here. So not a quarterback whisper, but he is expected to mold into what he wants. What would best satisfy what they have right now and into the not-so-distant future as a necessity at number four quarterback in your estimation? Yeah, it's a great question. As you point out, John, I mean, he's worked with so many different styles and sizes of quarterbacks, which I think made him so attractive in the process. Um, you know, obviously the most recent one, you, you see a big-time run threat in Jalen Hurts, and that's where Anthony Richardson starts. And, and um, 
you know, I think one thing that is difficult to sit through this process is, you know, Jalen Hurts was not the one that Shane Steichen drafted. You know, he, he came to Philadelphia after Hurts was drafted. The only one of the three, Philip Rivers, Justin Herbert, and Jalen Hurts that he was a part of drafting would have been Herbert. And in that case, Herbert went, you know, third of the three quarterbacks. You know, seemingly there were three above the rest in that 2019, or I guess it would have been 2020 draft maybe, with um, Joe Burrow going one, Tua going at five, and then Herbert going right after Tua at six. The 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 trait that he most covets, or at least he says he most covets, is the one that's hardest for us to like know because it is a behind the scenes, between the ears sort of trait. Um, I remember him telling a story at the combine about Justin Herbert, and that was the COVID draft, and and you know talking on Zoom with with Herbert, and you know basically at the start of the Zoom session, you know telling him some sort of play concept or play or whatever it was, and then later on in the Zoom, kind of coming back to it and trying to see the recall that Herbert had, and Herbert really blew blew them away in that um, whatever Zoom film session. So you hear something like that, and then all of a sudden my mind starts thinking, oh, boy, would, would he have hesitancy over a C.J. Stroud and those, you know, testing numbers? And this is me probably just overthinking it on, you know, the eve of the draft. Uh, and obviously the Richardson connection you would have from a dual threat standpoint. Um, you know, Steichen has mentioned, you know, accuracy is a really important trait he looks for, but he also thinks accuracy can improve. Jalen Hurts' accuracy definitely improved under Shane Steichen. But we also should note Jalen Hurts' accuracy in college is at a much higher level than Richardson. Uh, then you get into Levis and you think, boy, NFL system, you know, between the ears, this is a guy that, you know, transferred in college. I look at transferring when you have success at that next school. I think that's, a, that's an advantage for you. I, I think that, you know, shown that you dealt with some adversity, um, whether you decided to do it or not, it was some adverse situation and you came out on the other side of it pretty well. So, you know, in, in, in conclusion, I guess, John, it's like you can talk yourself into any of them from a style off the field um, issue or off the field standpoint as well. And that's why I, I think Colts fans should have, you know, great belief in Steichen. And ultimately, I just think when the pick is made tomorrow night at nine o'clock, it's, it, it's just an injection of hope into a franchise that has not had it in several years, because even when you went Band-Aid, you knew there wasn't staying power with that. You know, all the quarterbacks that you've had over the last, and you could argue luck was this way given his medical history, but all the recent QBs you've had, they were all depreciating. They were all deteriorating. They all were on, you know, the back nine, the final few holes of their career. The thought is the quarterback you take tomorrow night is growing and needs to be developed, and the unknown is scary, but it's also a guy that can be ascending and you can mold something out of that, and you have something to work with potentially for the next five to ten years. And, again, while that unknown is scary, I think it's also pretty exciting, and the path the Colts have to go down. It's uh, Kevin Bowen, The Morning Show. Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. here on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan, he's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I know that there are lots of not-so-subtle differences, um, certainly here. I'm not comparing at all C.J. Stroud. Um, at this level, the NFL, to what Joe Burrow has accomplished. But I think that the the whole criticism, well, look at the talent around him at Ohio State, is just beyond lame. I do. And that's been my opinion all along. Because if you look at Joe Burrow, and I know what he accomplished. They were, what, 15-0, won the national title. 
But Joe Burrow had just as much talent around him offensively at skill positions as C.J. Stroud did, and I don't remember any of that conversation. Yeah, it, it's a totally fair question. It's actually a question I threw to Charles Davis, and we had him on a little bit earlier earlier today. No, wait a minute. You, I, you asked that question today? Yeah, I asked that. What, did to, it sound uh, just like that? <laughs> well, I wish it sounded as – No, 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 no. I mean, did, did you compare Burrow to Stroud? Yeah, because I – Wow, hell, great minds think alike. I didn't even hear it. Yeah. That sounds like I'm, I'm like, not. listening to the show and copying your questions now. Thanks. <laughs> well, honestly uh, – Full transparency, I'd be copying a listener's question because um, they were, whatever, tuning in on Monday or Tuesday, and they threw ah. that question to me. Okay. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good well, question. And, and, and while, while we're being honest here, it was a friend of the show, Greg, that gave me that question earlier today while we're being honest. So there it is. Yes. Well what, done. What we got we be without our we got really smart listeners here. Listeners. Good job. Yeah, I mean. All right. We'll continue. I didn't mean to break up your concentration there, but that's well done by our listeners. Go ahead. Tremendous. Um, you know, I, I would think the one separation in those two, and I, I know the Big Ten East is a pretty good division, but it's not the SEC West. And, and so I think when you look at an entire schedule, I do think the level of competition the Borough faced week in and week out was at a higher level than, I mean, hell, Ohio State was even a three-touchdown favorite, seemingly, against Notre Dame in, in the opener, and that was one of their tougher games that they had last season. Um, now, of course, just watch the Georgia game, and, and for 60 minutes, C.J. Stroud silences any of that doubt, and that was a game that Jackson Smith and Jigma didn't play, and Marvin Harrison Jr. got injured late in that game. So, you know, certainly he's got stuff on his resume that, that, that would quiet that, I think the only like the only sort of nitpick I get with Stroud in the what do those testing numbers mean is that when you look at his 13 game season through 80 to 90 percent of that season, it was easier for him than it was for Levis. You know, I I guess all four of them were in the SEC. The other four, And, and how much of that should be a factor? How much of that? Um, is there any correlation, I guess, to those test scores where what, a, again, I, I am not saying those test scores are gospel at all, but is there any sort of, he wasn't put into as many difficult situations as the others. Therefore, could you, you know, completely whatever grade him on that? Because when he gets to the NFL, he's not going to have that talent advantage, you know, on a weekend week out basis that he had there. You know, Burrow, if you want to look at it, again, whatever. He did great on those test scores. So maybe that's what gave Cincinnati a little bit more feeling on that. Um, I would still take Stroud. Apologies if you can hear Rosie in the, in the background, of course. She Hi, Rosie. Very big C.J. Stroud fan, it sounds like. Um, I, I would still take Stroud. Um, that would not worry me. But I guess I'm just trying to make sense of why all this chatter is he would potentially fall. And maybe, like, some of that is there. Granted, I mean, we knew who Ohio State played back in January. Like, it's not like the schedule's changed a whole lot. Um, so that's where, you know, maybe some of it is due to, you know, testing, coachability, whatever. I'd still take them, but I'm just trying to get somewhat of an understanding on what, you know, these teams could be thinking if they do indeed uh, pass on them. Did you hear the C.J. Stroud comments earlier today? I did, yeah. The ones about the S2 test. The, yeah, uh, yeah, well, I'm assuming, yeah. I, I think it was about just going to Ohio State first in general. And it, I think in his his mind, it, 
it kind of then went to the uh, the S2 test or whatever. Uh, Kev, sit tight. I want you to listen to this, and we'll play off of this and see if you have a problem with it. C.J. Stroud answering a question earlier today. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a test taker, so uh, I play football uh, for me. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, I don't got nothing to prove to nobody, so I don't, I'm not going to sit here and explain how I process football. The people who are making the picks know what I can do. Um, so that's all that matters to me. There's a whole bunch of uh, people who know how to coach better, know how to play quarterback better, know how to do everything on social media. But um, that man in the arena, that, that's what's tough, is, is stepping in the arena 10 toes. So, um, and I'm going to stand on that. And I know what I can do. I know I can process well. I know if I'm not, if I'm not the smartest quarterback in this draft, um, I know I'm one of the smartest quarterbacks in the NFL when I step in there tomorrow. So I got confidence in myself. And I, and, uh, I don't think you can play at Ohio State and not be smart. So. Um, I don't got nothing to prove to nobody, man. Uh, at the end of the day, if you don't trust and believe in me, uh, all I can tell you is watch this. All right. Some people thought, all right, Kev, that's C.J. Stroud, and he's mentioning he has nothing to prove to anybody. And they, I think, are positioning that as the detractors. Well, he does have something to prove. You don't want anybody that, that goes into the NFL saying they don't have anything to prove. I think that that was completely pointed at the S2 and everybody believing that he does not have, you know, the decision making prowess under center to be a top level quarterback in the NFL. I think that's what he was talking about. Not that he has nothing to prove as far as a player in the NFL. And I thought that that also spoke to a very confident guy and his abilities. Did you hear the same thing? Yeah, yeah, I think that's directly related to the question of his test, testing scores because it's really the first time publicly. I assume that was at the draft. I assume that was in Kansas City um, early, earlier today. So I, I would say that's directly related to that. And, you know, and, you know I listen to C.J. Stroud and, and, and Anthony Richardson and, you know, Bryce Young and Will Levis all in a pretty, like, I don't know, 15, 20-minute span. I guess Levis a little bit after them at the Combine. You know, Bryce Young is like, I mean, a different tone, uh, just extremely nice. Like, you know, just seems like someone just super, super genuine. Stroud, Richardson, and Levis in their own individual ways, they come off of, you know, a bit probably brash, um, a bit confident, a bit cocky. Uh, You could walk away from any of those three media sessions and you could take their comments and say, that dude's cocky as hell, or you could say, in a way, that's them saying what Peyton Manning supposedly said to Bill Polian back in 98 of, if you don't take me, I'm going to kick your ass for the next decade or whatever. Right. So um, I, I look at that as Stroud. Stroud, to me, of all of them, I thought he was the most, like, up at that podium at the Combine, like, I am in full control right here. Like, I have, you know, I mean, he was representing Ohio State people by name. He was calling on people. I mean, this dude looked like bright lights. Just he certainly thrives on the field when we saw in the national semifinal and then in those podium sessions as well. So I, I just take that as a guy that understandably, and, and if I were his age and I were in this moment, I'd be pretty pissed off by, you know, supposedly all these comments, you know, attacking my intelligence. Um, and I thought, I don't know if it was Charles Davis with us um, earlier today, maybe it was um, Ross Tucker, but I think the thing to like keep in mind with Stroud in these comments it's like, okay, suppose or, or these testing scores, supposedly they indicate that he doesn't process well and in, you know, sudden instances he struggles in that area. Well, well okay, show me that then on film because I don't think you saw a guy that just last second just all of a sudden had a ton of bad interceptions or 
you know, really crippled under pressure. And obviously, you know, I know you were blown away by that Georgia game. I was, I think, everybody. Like, just what he looked like in a moment when, again, he didn't have his full arsenal around him against the best opponent in in probably a hostile environment as well. So, you know, for all those reasons, the scores would have a tad bit of skepticism. But part of me thinks the Colts could look at those S2 scores and hold that into some – I regard, you know. That was going to lead to my next question. Are you with me? And if Stroud is available at four, it would not surprise me in the least for the Colts not to select him. Would you agree? Yeah, it's it's a debate that I have I have thought about and and had. Um, as much as I think it should be a you hand the card in as soon as you get on the clock, I I could see a little bit of pause and. I guess two reasons. Um, I brought up the Steichen, you know, Justin Herbert example a little bit earlier about how, you know, much he was kind of blown away by Herbert in a, a chalkboard type setting. You know, I'll remember Joel Erickson asking Chris Ballard about the S2 test back at the combine. And again, I could be reading way too much into this the night before the draft, but, you know, welcome to April 26th when you have the fourth overall pick. But, Ballard clammed up like pretty quickly when Erickson asked him that question. And that's unballard like in those settings. And I got the indicator walking away thinking, oh, that's a metric the Colts hold in high regard. That was my impression of it. Um, obviously, I didn't know that, you know, two months later, it would be such a big, big topic the night before the draft. So if that's the case, then again, they they do hold that, I guess, in high regard. Now, the questions I would have is, and I know the S2 creator have kind of gone on, you know, I think it went on McAfee's show and has gone on a few other shows to talk about it. There are, you know, six or seven different sections to the test. So maybe a guy excels in other sections. Maybe that is more indicative of him as a quarterback. I mean, if you want to go back in history, I don't think Dan Marino tested very well on the Wonderlick. I don't think Jalen Hurts tested super well. And obviously those two guys in very different eras played quarterback at a really, really high level. And, and of course, in Hurts' case, is playing it. So, um, I tend to think that the Colts pay attention to that because they're very, very metric-based, but I also think they would make sure they provide a lot of context or would seek out a lot of context with that to make sure that's the case with, with Stroud. All right, uh, Kevin Bowens with us. Uh, I'm going to get away, and I, I'm not sure that you want to talk about this, you're prepared to talk about this, um, but I just kind of want your opinion, and I'm glad that uh, you probably haven't been mentioning it. It occurred to me, in, in watching the way the Clippers went out last night and thinking about Paul George who didn't play because he was injured. And I'm noting that Paul George has been, you know, spectacular as an individual performer when healthy for them. But when you look back on his travels, you know, wanting out of here, leaving here, going to OKC, ultimately ending up in LA with the Clippers, do you think success wise with team success? He could look back and wonder, and I mean wonder confidently here, that he could have been better team-wise and still had his individual production had he chosen to want to stay here? Um, I guess I'm not 1,000% following. So George thinks if he would have stayed here, he would You think he would have had more team success with the Pacers here than he has had with the Thunder and the Clippers combined. I think he's got one Western Conference final, I believe he was a part of with the Clippers. 
but most of the time you look back and you know he's been disappointing in big moments his team's been disappointing in big moments and certainly not lived up to the expectation so yeah do you okay, think that I he think could have and I, and I realize too i mean his final days here were nothing to write home about i i do realize yeah. that uh, game wise and some some of the similar issues that you saw when he was playing with the Clippers as well, or the Thunder, when he he kind of declined at big moments. But it just got me thinking. You know, last night with him not playing and the Clippers going out in round number one, had he chosen to stay here and be a part of this for the long term, if he would certainly the Pacers, I think, would have been better. But he would have been better maybe more accomplished in a team setting, and those individual numbers would have also been here as well. Can you make that argument, or is that false? Yeah, I, you know, obviously the Pacers haven't had really any team success None. since he's left. I mean, year. very little, um, yes. Yeah, I mean, you, you haven't won a series, if I'm not mistaken, um, since he's left. And obviously you're very competitive with uh, with Cleveland, but that's it. I think it's the only time you've even won a, a, a playoff game um, since that Raptors series. Yeah. So, um, again, as much as I would like to think Paul, obviously, individually, um, with healthy, is a great, great player. You know, maybe he could have attracted someone to play here. Um, well, he said but, he could have, right? I mean, he said that was part of his anti-Kevin Pritchard argument, is that he could. Yeah. I think it was Anthony Davis was the guy that he talked about. Yeah, gosh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I, I kind of believe. I, I would have to see that. To yeah, totally you know, yeah, well, it. yeah, um, and, and a lot of this. I mean, th- this is beyond speculation. And it's really nothing that you're probably going to think about logically sitting around hanging out with Rosie on a day like today. But it just <laughs> occurred to me, it occurred to me last night because so many have decided to make, you know, the Clippers and, and George and even to a degree Kawhi Leonard, um, you know, be such underachievers in all this. And, and really outside of maybe team-wise, you know, one particular season, it's kind of been that way for him. And even with the lack of success this team had post-Paul George, you, you still kind of wonder had he been, you know, locked in to being here for the longer term if that could have been different for both. Yeah, I mean, I think if Paul George would have spent the last seven years here, however long he's been gone, I, I would like to think they would have won a series or at least won a playoff game. I think we're going on, like, Five seasons since they won a playoff. Well, I mean, they, they had success with him while he was here. I mean, you know, early stages sure, sure. of Paul George, they had Eastern right. Conference final success that we saw, and and really that was the last major success this organization has had. Right, and I guess that core, I I, I guess kind of to to bring that up. I mean, that core just didn't really stay together, you know, post yeah. or, or I, I guess have a lot of staying power. You know, whether you talk about Lance. Or whether you talk about you know David West, certainly from an age standpoint, obviously Hibbert did not become the player or, or stay at the level that you thought. And I'm trying to think back to that Raptors series. I, I remember Paul being incredible in that seven game series. Um, no, no, we were complaining about Frank Vogel's rotations. Remember. Because Frank Vogel would go with those rotations and he would play bench guys and leave George on the bench. I think George even had a problem with that while he was here. Yeah, and that was like. I, like Solomon Hill was their second best player in that series. And yeah, they cashed right, in right, on it. I mean, that right. was, I mean, that was a team that you had I mean, Monte Ellis on one knee, you know, probably as your second best score, which is frightening to say out loud, but that's kind of where you were at. So I think what would have had to have changed would have been, and, and, and I don't necessarily believe Paul's words. I, I think he could have attracted somebody. I don't think Anthony Davis level. I think you could have gotten somebody here. 
Um, unfortunately, I mean, that kind of started, you know, the the era of some really poor draft picks. And certainly the NBA is difficult to draft, especially in that area. But you had several just big swings and misses. So it's not like you got some sort of young compliment to him or, or, or would have gotten somebody um, during that stretch. But you would have had to have gone out and get somebody because, you know, a, a, a final core of whatever that was, George Hill, Monte Ellis, I guess Miles would have been – Miles Turner, C.J. Miles would have been on that team. I guess Miles would have been really young, so Miles would have been part of that moving forward, and that would have been a, a – well, And that was that. When they got eliminated by Cleveland, like in the first round of his final season here, right? In in straight oh, yeah, sets, that was, and that was yeah. that's when he, he you know, like C.J. Miles took a wide open shot, and he wanted you know Paul was mad because he wanted to fade from the hash mark off the glass, and you know that was the Gatorade commercial that you know ball game, and then you know he had a, a jumper that missed I think everything when the going it was just a, a lot of stuff you know from that to playoff P to pandemic P a lot of stuff that just didn't and hasn't really meshed for him, and you just kind of wonder if had he stayed and. You know, been locked in with this organization if they could have helped one another uh, moving forward more than, than at least team-wise, organizationally speaking, the type of success he's had since then. So, just a yeah, thought. Yeah, I, I guess my overriding thought with it is he would have had to have attracted some other, like, right. youngish piece. Because outside of Miles, you had no well, one else, like, young. I mean, Monte, that, That's what they're Monte counting on right now with, with Halliburton. Eugene. Yeah, that's what they're counting on right now to degree with Halliburton is, you know, that's that's part of the argument we make about what we think about this team moving forward is the, the attraction he brings that hasn't been there. And with a growing Paul George back then putting up numbers, you know, could he have been a similar attraction? I mean, this is all probably for a different day, but it just occurred to me early and I thought I would ask you completely out of nowhere. Side swipe you with that question. My bad. <laughs> I can't wait for tonight, though, John. I, I was saying earlier today, I mean, this I'm is one right of the better it. nights you're you're going to find in in round one, especially with tomorrow night only one game, and obviously the draft. But I mean, all four of these games, I can talk myself in. It, it has like I a love 16 it. feel from last I month of it. like okay, seven o'clock tip, seven thirty, nine thirty, and ten. So I can't wait. Now, every time I hear that, oh, the NBA sucks, I just think, man, you suck. Seriously, you suck. And I'm not promoting yeah. it because yeah. I'm a sports talk show host. I'm promoting it because I love basketball. Watching these guys this big be this athletic and this good at basketball yeah. it just continues. You know, even with you know some of the jackassery that goes along with it, I, mean, I can put up with it because it's, it's fun as hell to watch. All right, ask Jake that question, and Jake will give you an hour of content tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> – no need for mayo and coffee. You can, you can go out for donuts. That one, Adam. Yeah, just uh-huh. ask him that. Yeah. All right, man. I might save that for like July 10th. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's better. That Probably not on draft day morning. <laughs> Probably not. I appreciate you, brother.